Welcome back to Living Lean. This is Jeremiah Bear. Today, we have another listener Q&A. Now, as always, if you want your questions answered on the podcast, be on the lookout for my Instagram story. Every Monday, I drop a question box and I answer all your questions super in depth the next week. Here, follow me at Jeremiah Bear, or if you would rather not hop on Instagram, just shoot me whatever questions you have to jeremiah at barefit.com and I'll get them answered for you. All right, and without further ado, let's get right into the Q&A. All right, so the first question is, how much of a role do hormones and gut health play in a fat loss? So this is a pretty common question that I get honestly, and there's a lot of confusion surrounding this, but the reality is things like hormones, gut health, don't make as big of a difference for fat loss as most people do. They share an unfair amount of the blame for why people can't lose fat or feel like they can't lose fat. So the reality is 95% of the time when people can't lose fat, from my personal experience, it's really just comes down to measurement error. Basically, you're probably not as consistent with tracking your foods or tracking your foods as accurately as you think. But the thing is, it's way easier to before we like look into, okay, where am I potentially not measuring my food accurately? And same goes for like any clients you're working with, but it's so much easier to, instead of looking at like, where am I not measuring accurately? think, okay, well, maybe it's my hormones that are holding me back, maybe it's my gut health, and that's really out of my control. But the reality is, that is far from the case. So when we're looking at hormones that potentially affect your fat loss, we're primarily looking at leptin, ghrelin, and thyroid hormone. Now, when it comes to leptin and ghrelin, it is inevitable that as we diet, levels of the hormone leptin are going to decrease. So basically what happens here, as leptin decreases, as we basically our body senses that less energy is available, then ghrelin, the hunger hormone, is gonna increase and will also expend less energy. So basically this is just one of your body's mechanisms to maintain homeostasis. Now, we can actually increase leptin by taking diet breaks, and also through how we're periodizing our calories. So studies show that with 48 hours plus of increased carb intake, we can actually increase levels of leptin. Now, obviously, we also need a calorie deficit. We need to be eating fewer calories than we're burning today to lose fat. So if you're taking a diet break every two to three days to boost leptin, you're kind of missing the forest for the trees. But a diet break every six to 12 weeks is smart. And then also getting into calorie periodization, taking things like every 11 days, we take a three day diet break. Methods like that are smart to keep leptin as high as possible. Now, with your thyroid, if you have an actual thyroid problem, obviously consult a doctor. That is one thing that can for sure kill your fat loss. Outside of that, if you have that management, we know it's not an actual thyroid issue that you have. The reality is a bit of decrease in thyroid hormone as we diet, just like leptin is inevitable. That said, it's not gonna be something that's actually stopping you from losing fat. It's just part of your body's natural adaptation to getting smaller, getting leaner. Now, when it comes to gut health, 
Very similar story. If you do have gut health issues, it can actually affect how many of the nutrients and actual calories you absorb from the food you take in. So just like before, for some people, if you have gut issues, you can't honestly have to lose fat on fewer calories than a person with a healthier gut would. There's also been studies that have shown with mice that basically they took, I think it was feces from, or they took some type of gut bacteria from lean mice, put it in obese mice, and the obese mice got lean. That said, again, this isn't something that in isolation is gonna prevent you from losing fat. It might be something that's making it slightly harder and is optimizing your gut health a good idea? Of course, but it's not the sole reason that you're not able to make progress. It's not gonna kill your fat loss results. And the reality is, if you have hormone issues, if you have gut health issues, the number one solution not the number one solution, the prescription for getting healthier, the biggest three things you can do are one, eat a diverse whole foods diet, two, get plenty of sleep, manage your stress, and three, resistance train frequently, aka the exact same thing that you need to do for fat loss and get healthier anyway. So the prescription for fixing your gut, getting healthier hormones, is basically just a prescription for living a healthier lifestyle anyways. So regardless of how you feel your gut health, your hormones are, just focus on those things and you'll get healthier. All right, question number two. Deadlifts hurt my back. Advice? Okay, so this is super common. This is something that I have struggled with personally in the past, actually. And if you're a coach, you know, probably 90% of your clients are gonna come in with this problem. Now, she didn't specify which variation of deadlifts exactly hurt her back, but I'm guessing it's just conventional deadlifts, which is very common. Now, first and foremost, I'm gonna say, well, first and foremost, I need to say, that if you feel like you have an injury, consult your physician, this is the medical advice, but don't get married to movements, focus on movement patterns. So what I mean by that, when a client comes to me, and we run through the initial movement assessment, which is something I have you do when you start on my coaching. I actually have you record yourself going through some foundational movement patterns, the hinge being one of them. And we can actually see what imbalances, weaknesses you have. And I have you point out to me like what movements create pain for you so we can choose better substitutes. Now, when a client comes to me and we know that they have pain with a traditional deadlift, first, we just wanna choose a different variation of that movement pattern. We know that hinging, training the posterior chain is obviously very important, but that doesn't have to come from a conventional deadlift to still get you great results. So here we'd be looking at, okay, maybe the traditional deadlift bothers you, but maybe you can pull sumo. What about trap bar? Maybe we can get you doing an elevated deadlift. Maybe you can't deadlift at all, but we can do lots of hip thrust and unilateral Romanian deadlifts and we can still get great results building your posterior. So first thing to look at there is switching up movement patterns. Second, work on core stability. So a super common reason people are going to issue, or they're gonna injure their backs, bother their backs when deadlifting, is just a lack of core stability. Your core's number one function is to resist movement. 
Basically, your coin is strong enough to brace and protect your spine when we're putting it under heavy loads. But if you haven't done a lot of what I call anti-movement training, if all your core work is just things like crunches and reverse crunches, we're not actually very effectively training our core to be able to resist movement to keep our trunk from moving when we're under heavy loads. So we're a lot more likely to get injured when we're doing things like deadlifting. So we wanna make sure that your core training involves three main components. Anti-extension work, which would be just different things like think planks, hollow body holds, anti-rotation work. So here think movements like pal-off presses, um, renegade rows, we're trying to prevent rotation at the trunk and anti-lateral flexion. So basically we're here, we're trying to prevent bending to one side or the other. So here are things like farmer's carries, suitcase carries, basically any carry variation is very solid. And if we get a solid blend of all three of those, anti-extension, anti-rotation, and anti-lateral flexion, if you're training those consistently, your core strength will shoot up and your back should feel a lot better. We also wanna make sure we're focusing a lot on the glutes and hamstrings because the reality is if your glutes, hamstrings are weak, then a lot more of the stress when you're deadlifting will be shifted to your lower back and that can obviously create pain. So outside of just deadlifts, make sure you're putting plenty of emphasis on your lower or on your glutes and hamstrings. So I would do a lot of things like hip thrust, lion hamstring curls, Swiss ball leg curls, single leg glute bridges, movements like that, where we're not necessarily quote unquote isolating the muscle, although that too isn't a bad idea, I would make sure you add in even like some glute band work can help here. Just a lot of focus on those two muscle groups along with strengthening the core, that should help. And finally, obviously just make sure that you're hinging properly. And this is another thing where having a coach to individualize this for you really comes in into play. Like whenever a client's struggling with a movement, whenever a movement gives a client pain, I'll just have them shoot me a video of it. And often just right there, we can get the problem fixed because really more often than not, it's just a form issue. All right, next question. Why do I never see results after months of training? All right, so a lot of different ways we could go here. First and foremost, 95% of the people that go hard in the gym just aren't paying enough attention to their nutrition. This is why having a nutrition coach makes such a massive difference. We know more or less what to do in the gym, but so many people just have no clue what to do with their nutrition to create the results that they want. When we have both training and nutrition paired together, that's when you actually get life-changing results. That's why I focus so much on nutrition because for so many people, it's just a missing link. So first and foremost, I would say, Make sure your nutrition aligns with your goals and you're actually consistent with that. Also make sure you're actually consistent in the gym. Now, assuming that you have those two things on point, then we can get a little bit deeper into what you're doing with your training. Are you creating enough stimulus to grow, but can you also match that with your recovery ability? So are you creating enough stimulus, but not too much that is to the point you can't recover from? Now here, we could go way down the rabbit hole of training volume and finding the right volume for you. It does get very complex, especially when 
we're just trying to give out general recommendations. But basically your training volume, I'm gonna to try to keep this as simple as possible and as applicable as possible to you, whether you're setting up your own program or you're coaching someone else. But volume is usually quantified as sets times reps times weight. That's your training problem or training volume. That said, math is hard. So let's just think of this as your training volume is the total number of hard sets that you do. Think, and let's quantify hard sets as sets finish with one to three reps in the tank. So basically the goal here is to make sure that you're doing the appropriate number of hard sets. You're doing the appropriate volume for you because we know the progression over time does require gradually increasing your training volume or gradually increasing the number of hard sets, which over time does eventually lead to adding more training days to make room for the added volume of sets. But that said, this doesn't mean that more volume always equals more growth. And from here, we could get into the volume landmarks, but again, we're not gonna go too far down that rabbit hole. I'm just gonna give you some general guidelines to make sure you're probably at your ideal number of hard sets. So when we're at or near our ideal number of hard sets, one, your strength should consistently be increasing on the compound lifts or metric-based lifts. So how I set people's training programs up when you coach with me, your first couple movements are always what we call metric-based lifts. Things like it'll almost always be, it will always be a squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull. And we're focusing on increasing weight while obviously maintaining good form. Your strength should consistently be increasing on those. You should also be consistently a bit sore. Now, soreness in itself isn't a good proxy of muscle growth or progress, but the reality is if you're a bit sore, it's a good sign that you're pushing yourself and what you're doing with your training is effective. You should also be getting good pumps. Now, just like soreness, getting a good pump, which if you don't know, is just the full feeling your muscles are full of blood. When we're training, we're creating lots of metabolic stress. Kind of think it's like that burn and then the pump we get after it when, let's say you do an intense set of bicep curls. You should be getting pumps frequently. And you should also feel like you're pushing yourself consistently. You're training hard, but you don't feel run down. You should feel motivated to go to the gym and just, you shouldn't feel like shit, essentially. Like when we're in the gym, we feel good, we don't hurt, we're motivated. If this is where you're at, you don't need to add sets. Just focus on continuing to increase the weight on your compound lifts. Now, signs that you're doing too many hard sets. First, you feel beat up, run down, and motivation to hit the gym is low. Second, if your strength is stagnating or decreasing on those metric-based lifts. And finally, if you don't get any pumps. Now, if this is you, first make sure that things like sleep, nutrition, like we talked about, and even management of life stressors outside of the gym are on point. Now, if you have all those dialed in, then you potentially need to decrease your training volume. So decrease number of hard sets. And then finally, some good signs that it's time to add more hard sets. First, recovery is good. So you don't feel sore, you're pretty motivated to train, you don't feel quote unquote run down, but strength is still stagnating 
and you don't get pumps very often. If this sounds like you, then it's likely time to add in more hard sets, which can eventually equate to adding a whole nother training day. And generally, this can equate to, now again, this is very rough recommendations because I don't know your specific case, but generally, beginners can see great results training three to four times a week, about 30 to 60 minutes each. Intermediate to more advanced clients can see great results training four to five times a week, 60 to 90 minutes each. Now, from there, I would really honestly say, just knowing what I know about coaching so many people, that the issue is probably something outside of training either, or I would say first, you're potentially not hitting your effective reps. So basically you're stopping too far from failure. You're not small falling or these, and really these are just, just other things that could be a potential issue, but within training, not hitting effective reps, you're stopping too far from failure. You want to stop most sets, one to three reps left in the tank. Two, you're not consistent enough, which is another huge problem. Three, we're not following a structured training program. That's a huge mistake that people make. We have to be following a structured training program backed in science. If you're not following anything, if you're an intermediate to advanced lifter, I would definitely check out my training program, Lean. The link for that is in the show notes. And then outside of that, just make sure you're sleeping. Make sure you're actually managing your nutrition. All right, and final question of the day, nutrition strategies for managing cravings, please. This is another extremely common question that I get. And I would say the biggest thing I focus on nutrition and nutrition coaching isn't like teaching people how to use willpower to resist these things. It's teaching you how to put yourself in an environment where they're non-existent, which is really good at what I'm going to talk about here. Like you see so many things on Instagram. It's like, okay, just drink more water and <laughs> eat some celery. Like, yeah, those are probably good ideas, but is that effective for most people? Probably not. So here's some strategies that when you start nutrition coaching with me, will implement. First, focus on removing environmental triggers. So the reality is many of our cravings are caused by habit. You drive by the donut shop, suddenly you crave a donut. You walk by the fridge, suddenly you crave a beer. Your kids come home and suddenly you get the urge to drink. You get the idea. So all habits are formed in a loop. Q leads to, so basically we experience the Q, which is often something visual. There's all kinds of different ways we can experience cues. It can be something visual. It can be a time. It can be a person, but that cue triggers a craving. So in this case, with the donut shop analogy, we're craving a donut, which then leads to the response, which is essentially us going, buying a donut from the donut shop. And finally the reward, which is the endorphin rush we get briefly from eating said donut. Now, this really gets into the concept of environment design, but basically I found with most clients, the easiest thing to do is just focus on removing the cue. So with many clients, like for example, again with the donut shop, many clients that have struggled, like they always stop at this one place to get fast food. We've literally had them change the route that they take to drive to or from work. Or if a client is always constantly hungry on the way home from work and it makes it a lot harder for them to not stop and grab food, then I say, okay, let's stock your car up with some fruit, some quest bars, things like that 
to, and I want you to actually eat those right away. Like when you hop in your car on the way home from work, let's fill you up. So you being so hungry isn't such an issue and this isn't at the top of mind. So really look to first, like how can you remove these environmental triggers? How can you, to quote James Clear, make it invisible? So again, this can just be like the snack table at work. If that's something that gets you, which is another super common thing for people, can you like literally move it? Can you put up a visual barrier so you can't see it? Can you stock your desk with, again, things like fruits, protein bars, protein powders, just lower calorie, healthier snacks? Because we'll always fall back to the path of least resistance. So if you have those right there, it's literally just easier for you to just grab the snack that you have on your desk than it is for you to walk over to the break table. So looking at little environmental things like this make a massive difference. Second, most people that struggle a lot with cravings are generally not eating enough protein. So we wanna make sure we are hitting your protein goals and it's spread relatively evenly across the day because protein is the most filling food. And if you're under eating it, you'll be hungry more. Honestly, I think this is probably one of the single most impactful things that my clients do to reduce cravings. So simply eating 25 grams plus of protein at every meal is straight up gonna be a massive difference maker for you. I would just look at your total protein goal, look at the average amount of meals you eat per day. So if your goal is to eat 100 grams of protein, just get, and you eat four meals a day, just make sure you grab at least 25 grams plus at every meal, spreading that evenly across the day. Also means you're pretty satiated across the entire day. So that's smart as opposed to like, you're just trying to eat all your protein in one big meal. Because again, the next two meals or the next three meals won't be very filling. Now, we also wanna make sure that you're reducing processed foods and increasing whole foods if you're somebody that's not eating a lot of whole foods right now. So here, processed foods aren't bad, but they do digest quicker and they're literally designed to make you want to crave and eat more. You could literally eat the exact same macros from whole food sources and a processed food source, but you would be much more full from the whole foods because a less processed food will always take longer for your body to digest. Since it takes longer to digest, it's gonna keep us full longer. And we could also look into here, make sure that you're not drinking most of your calories. You're not drinking a big chunk of your calories because again, that'll digest very quickly. Whereas if we're fighting things like fighting hunger, fighting cravings, we wanna keep you full as often as possible. And this is one of the most frequent things that I do with my clients. Like literally hop into your MyFitnessPal diary when you do nutrition coaching and look at times when you're struggling with cravings and say, okay, let's put this food here. Like here's some swaps you can make to increase your fiber intake let's increase protein here, and this should really help with your cravings. Now that really ties into what I was gonna say next, which was eat a protein plus fiber dense meal 30 to 60 minutes before your cravings typically happen. This is something that I use a lot with clients who especially struggle with eating at night. If there's a time you typically experience cravings, we'll get proactive about handling it in nutrition coaching. So by eating a high protein plus a fiber dense meal, Next to, next to protein, fibrous carbs are the most filling food. If we eat, so if we eat a high protein and fiber meal 30 to 60 minutes before you, the times you typically crave something, then we're proactively eliminating it. Because here, we're giving you a lot of food volume, a lot of satiation, 
without a lot of calories. My favorite here is honestly just a big ass salad with a protein source on it, like chicken breast or tuna. All the spinach, all the veggies in there are gonna get you a ton of fiber. You're gonna be very full, so it's very likely that you're not gonna crave something, but we're really doing damage control here. All right, and finally, identify any foods that you just can't eat in moderation, and don't keep these at home. We all have foods like this. I know for me, it's these cheddar rice crisps. They are seriously delicious. They taste just like Cheetos, and it's, they're literally like mini rice cakes, but if I have those in my house, I will literally just smash the whole bag. We all just have foods like this. Now, sometimes they're even healthy foods. Like for many people, it's things like nut butters is probably the most common one. So things like peanut butter, almond butter, those are definitely, they've definitely been marketed as healthy and there's definitely nothing wrong with them. But the reality is so many of us just smash, can smash thousands of calories of those and if there are foods like that that you know or like dark chocolate is another great example of this if there are foods like that that you know you have trouble controlling yourself around you have trouble keeping in moderation just don't keep them in your house and especially ice cream is probably the most common example of this outside of what we think of as quote-unquote healthy foods if you struggle to control yourself eating ice cream just don't keep it in your house just make it to where it takes more conscious effort to go get it. We wanna, again, taking it back to the habits thing, we wanna break this from being a subconscious ha habit, like all of a sudden you're just eating ice cream and you didn't really even think about it. We wanna make it to where, yeah, it's fine for you to eat ice cream in moderation, but we want that outside of your house to where you actually have to hop in your car, put on pants, whatever, and go get that ice cream there you'll be a lot smarter about it and you can actually get it in like, okay, I'm not gonna get a whole tub of ice cream, I'm just gonna get this, I'm gonna get a cone or whatever, and that's fine. That'll work great with your nutrition and you can be more flexible, but if you're bringing a whole gallon of ice cream home and you literally have trouble not eating all of it at once, it's just not smart for your goals. All right, and with that, that is everything we have today for the Q&A. So, like I said at the start of the podcast, if you have any questions for me, look out for my Q&A box on Instagram every Monday at Jeremiah Bear, or shoot me an email with your questions, jeremiah at bearfit.com. That said, have a great Friday. Thank you for tuning in.